everybody, and welcome to the Hobos Collective. I am your host, the Blue Wizard, and of course with me as always is... Loga the Barbarian. And we're real excited today. Uh, we are going to be talking to you guys about uh, a couple of different things. A uh, few subjects that we've had a few conversations about in the past and are looking forward to sharing with you guys. <laughs> but... Uh, I guess, uh, Logar, you wanted to give a shout out before we get started, right? Yeah. And you know what? We'll do this. Uh, I want to thank all of our patrons for the support they've given us. They they are. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I, I've got a few patrons that I honestly, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I can't pronounce the names that I'm reading on, uh, on the Patreon. So please forgive me. Carl Danko, David Goth, Ed Vaughn, David Jackson, Crystal Kamenki, Shannon McMaster, Creature Curation, Jacob Campos, Peter Skanes, James Knight, Jim Hall, Kyle Maxwell, Michael Ruiz, Rory Stark, Todd, Rabbi Fioto, and Richard Ruane. Thank you so much for your support on Patreon. It's been very helpful. And I want to thank Raddy and Cantati, our sponsor for today's episode. Now, I was just over at Ratty and Cantati site. There's a few things on there I want to get. They have a lot of good stuff. If you like games, role-playing games, they got a lot of game zines and game books and, and, and other types of games. But there were two that stood out to me today browsing through what they got. They got this really cool book, Mycultural Mitochondrial. Is my pronouncing it right? Mycondrial yep. Revolution. Mitochondrial? M-Y-O-C-O- C-U-L-T-U-R-A-L, my cultural revolution. Myocultural. Okay. Myocultural revolution. Transforming our world with mushrooms, lichens, and other fungi. I thought that might have been it. Yeah, okay. Awesome. Yeah, so it's a, it's a fungus book. It looks really, really interesting. I'm wanting to get that one. Then they got this Railroad Semantics box set by Aaron Dactyl. It, well, here, let me read what it's about. It's yeah. devoted to train hopping, graffiti, and railroad culture. Aaron Dackle's oh. Railroad Semantics series describes sights, sounds, successes, and defeats, exploring the western U.S. by freight train. Inside, you'll find epic hidden works of art, read up on rail lore, and writing tips, meet rail workers and fellow adventurers, experience the perils and glories in rail yards, train cars, small towns, and encampments. I'm really interested in checking those two out. Yeah, those are both very relative relevant to my interests. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. So we wanted to talk about a few things. We had been looking at something called the Anarchist Black Dragon. And what is the Anarchist Black Dragon? So apparently in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a, uh, a effort of prison organizing going on in the U.S. And this was coming out of Washington. I think it was Washington State Penitentiary. Yeah, Walla Walla, yeah. Walla Walla State Penitentiary. And this was sort of a zine, like a prison organizing style zine. Now, I'll say for folks that aren't aware, prison organizing is a big thing that 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 anarchists, wobblies, and, and, and folks of that sort have been involved with over the years. Uh, in fact, there's the incarceration Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee is, is an organization out there of uh, incarcerated workers. So there are folks that are incarcerated by the by the uh, prison industrial complex and they are 
held, you know, in cages, in prisons. Uh, there's a lot of uh, political prisoners as well that we tend to not talk about in, in, in our mainstream major media. The United States having political prisoners is kind of something they want to say that doesn't happen, right? Like people would rather pretend. They, they would like to believe that. <laughs> I mean, Guantanamo Bay has made a lie out of all of that. Like everybody I think now can, can point to at least one example of where the United States is actively keeping and torturing and breaking the minds of political prisoners. Well, a lot of them are kept at a maximum security facility prison that is outside of, um, that is in, is it in Illinois, in Terre Haute? I believe that's right, yeah. So that's the maximum security uh, prison facility. A lot of political prisoners, uh, a lot of them are, a lot of these folks are United States citizens who had different political opinions. People like Leonard Peltier, Marius Mason. Um, there's a pretty long list of, of folks who are held. Uh, one we'll talk about today who was held for, for a life sentence, essentially 20, 30 years. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was Lorenzo Comba Irvin. And he's a uh, he's a person who I I look up to greatly. I, I, I'll mention him because he's actually been involved, was mentioned and part of what was going on here with the anarchist Black Dragon. So this was a publication, a zine coming out of the prisons, talking about the conditions, the organizing, and the torture. Uh, you know things like guards putting glass in prisoners' food when they were being held for uh, different protests and stuff that they had staged. It's uh, quite a read. Quite a read. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, and it's maybe a, a terrible comparison, but uh, the closest thing, like you, 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 that, would be for the '70s and '80s, kind of unveiling the conditions on the ground. And now we have uh, "Orange is the New Black," which is the big thing that was shedding like light on what it's like to be a person inside of a prison, right? Yeah, I really appreciated the show because up to that point, there wasn't a lot of talk about like prison abolitionists, people like the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee and stuff like that. Those folks have been talking about this stuff. In fact, for a, quite a while there, the IWOC, uh, the folks who are incarcerated involved with the organizing have been putting out a zine as well. And that was one of the ones that we would often print from our little zine shop, I think of. I, I used to run a little, uh, I guess, zine publication deal. We, I would print all kinds of, you know, political type zines for the IWW and other organizing efforts. And that's one that we used mm -hmm. to hand out a lot. In fact, uh, within that lot, I know that at one point in time, Lorenzo, after he was uh, he finally got had finally been released from prison, he was putting out his book in a little zine format. And I had this has been over a decade ago, I had been able to order a copy of that for him from him through him directly. Uh, it was the first thing I read of it that he had put out. Now, Lorenzo Comba Irving, uh, let's explain who he is, right? Yeah. <laughs> give, give a little context for the listeners and also for me, because uh, I, I don't know a lot about him. So Lorenzo Comba Irving, and, and I maybe should pull something up to, to tell about his history, but he, he he gave a lot for the struggle. You know, he's got involved in organizing back during the Black Panther movement. And I want to say the late 60s, mm -hmm. early 70s, around there. He was in, I believe it was Tennessee, Tennessee, and there were some problems because, you know, Tennessee cops and Klansmen didn't like uh, black folks organizing in that manner, specifically within the Black Panthers. And he became a target by the local Klan and law enforcement uh, in order to escape. He he hijacked a plane and, and, and tried to flee the country for his life. <laughs> That's a good call. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was uh, the CIA. They ended up tracking. He he went to Cuba and I think somewhere in Europe. Uh, I want to say I, I'm not 100 percent sure where he eventually went. Some of the links we'll probably put up 
in the show notes will tell you. But he eventually the CIA, the feds caught up with him and they put him in for a life sentence. That's how he ended up in prison during this time where the anarchist Black Dragon was coming out. Now, it's an interesting read. Uh, some of these I haven't read every issue and I haven't read every single article, but I've been flipping through these issues. Now, they're available online. Oddly enough, a lot of them are available through like academic databases and stuff like that. I've discovered as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that checks out, you know, it's uh, 40, 50 years on, so the uh, academic world is now looking at all of this and just kind of dryly parsing through all of this shit that leftists were doing 40, 50 years ago, so that they can try and figure out where the meat of it is, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. the life cycle of these things. Yeah, so you have people trying to organize actively in areas that are getting very little support from the current hegemony and the power structure that exists. You know, it's not, oh, they're bad criminals, you know what I'm saying? Those kinds of crap you get from people. <laughs> Which is, in itself, is, is fast. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this earlier today, like, how much of our media presents, you know, prisons as terrible, awful horrible places and the protagonist of whatever thing you know movie book or show is someone who was unjustly incarcerated and has to free themselves we love those sorts of stories we love the idea of like the the person who was wrongly imprisoned it goes all the way it goes all the way back to like magwitch <laughs> <laughs> oh my able magwitch from the great expectations of course <laughs> Well, here's the thing. That's a foil. That's an interesting lens to look at things through because that's a narrative we tell often in society. But when right. we see a lot of those stories, there's usually like, oh, I'm the exception. I'm the innocent one. Everyone else in here is dastardly evil. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, maybe every now and then someone isn't evil, but most of them are repulsive, horrible human beings. It is the narrative that goes with those stories off, or, or or don't even get the right to call themselves human beings anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what we get. You know, we are talking about incarceration. Now it's interesting. There was a very real effort here for a uh, multicultural movement that they were talking about. Because if you read in some of these articles, they speak about how now the anarchist black dragon collective the abdc is the group that was putting this out they were organizing within prisons it talks a little bit about some of their activism there fighting for certain rights and things like that but the abdc which is difficult to say because <laughs> i'm so used to, used to saying acab or abcd <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So, so this this a little bit deviates. So I have to get my my tongue around that, right? So the ABDC uh, they talk about how they are a a, a group of prisoners. The things that unifies them that is that their incarceration under the capitalist uh, state mm -hmm. and under the the prison industrial complex, which is profiting off of their incarceration, and. They talk about how they are an organization that is collectively working together of many races, uh, many cultures. They say that specifically they are white, black, brown, and red is the way they describe themselves in there. And some of those race issues come up in here, and sometimes in a sloppy way. I think Lorenzo himself wrote in addressing some of those. And I, I usually default to Lorenzo because I, I look up to what he has to say and him as a person. I, I find him... Um, a good mentor type person to look up to in general, if you're lucky. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> so it, it is what it is. He's 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 a, he's a rather he's he's he knows his stuff, and he's been around this for a minute. He's made some observations in these areas that are astute, and that we should probably listen to and learn from. And I'm not I don't think I'm the only person who looks up to him. There's a lot of folks who end up going down in history in these movements. People like uh, Kropotkin, Emma mm. Goldman, Lucy Parsons, uh, things like that. But I think that Lorenzo will go down in history as is somebody to that we will hold on to in that manner. Now, that's kind of a side note. <laughs> Back to the zine, the anarchist black dragon. It's interesting how this is done. If you read through these, the first issue that they do gets sent out and never gets any reproduction or distribution. It's kind of lost to history. Mm, right. That makes, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> they The group that they were originally supposed to copy and publish this and put it out into the world, no one knows what happened from what I'm reading. I, I, I haven't found what happened to it, but that issue is oddly missing. All the rest of the issues are available. Uh, there's a specific blog here that you can go to where they just upload them to, but they're also being housed and kept on a lot of other places online. We'll put a link to that. The one that I'm looking at is the anarchistblackdragon.noblogs.org. And it's got um, like a, I guess, 10 issues because it's got volume two, three, four, five, six, seven is a special issue, eight, nine, 10 11 and then they have an additional like selected writings like the best of i'm assuming something along those lines right and all those sure. are available for you to online to download and check out and read through so i suggest you do that because they're there what's cool about looking at these and this is kind of one of the reasons i wanted to bring some of this up is that they have uh information and they're telling you to print them and, and distribute them they want this information out there into the world and that's a little different than than how things are handled sometimes, right? Like 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 yeah, print freely yeah. and distribute, right? Like there's a lot of genes like zines being made in this day and age are very nice, but if you printed freely to distribute, people would be very upset. Well, sure, you know, I mean you you've got to make your money off of your intellectual property. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, there are there are different reasons for printing these zines. And one of the biggest reasons and kind of the origin of zines, one of the reasons why they were popular in certain spaces of marginalized folks over decades is because they were an accessible way to publish your ideas, your philosophy, your struggles, your whatever it be, right? Right. You don't need a publisher. You can largely do it if you can access a Xerox machine. So... The zine itself is is kind of like, in a large play way, was used as the voice of the marginalized. A counterculture. Well, we, we had mentioned counterculture. What's counterculture? Oh, counterculture, uh, I guess in, in brief, in, in sort of a broad brush, would be the emergence of viewpoints outside of the uh, dominant hegemony. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of a, a culture of people that have realized that the mainstream does not work for them and are trying to exist. Sometimes the counterculture is, in fact, actively trying to tear down the established culture. Sometimes it's just trying to live alongside the established culture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd say that's I just did a Google of counterculture. The definition that came up is counterculture was a sociopolitical term indicating a point of dissent between dominant or mainstream ideologies and alternative value systems. So creating a collective voice that can be considered a significant minority. 
And I'd say that zine culture has lived within counterculture to some extent, but counterculture, I think counterculture can include a lot of things, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, look at the hippies and, and the punk movements as a counterculture movement that initially emerged and were swiftly gobbled up by record companies and fashion sure. company. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that's a, that's a question that we have to to ask ourselves these days. Like, where is the in the age of the internet? Where is the counterculture? Like, what what is has counterculture just been co opted and swept under the rug of culture as a whole like i don't i don't think that's the case and i hope that there are people out there that are doing shit that i just don't even know about because <laughs> i'm old you know <laughs> counterculture is for the youth right uh, <laughs> yeah at some extent but it, it, well where, where are like our social movements counterculture movements uh i guess that depends like are, if they're stepping across the bow of the uh the direct cultural movement, then yeah, I guess they would be, you know, like clearly I would say that being a pri prison abolitionist would put you as part of the counterculture. For <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely in the United States, you mentioned prison abolitionism. People come up with a lot of things that they were taught from a very young age and their immediate reactions are pretty, pretty similar. What you hear most of the time, they haven't actually looked into or considered some of the alternatives to like criminal justice systems and things like that, that have been critiqued by people for quite a long time at this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I would say that in, in general, the, the, uh, the social sciences seem to be in pretty good agreement that prisons aren't working <laughs> <laughs> I, I i would say that the uh abdc would agree with that and so would iwalk the incarcerated workers organizing committee as well i and, and i'll make sure like i said before we'll have links to sites and places you can look at more of them but so as counterculture, though, it's also like 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 counterculture was kind of sold to people a, a, as a youth in a very commercialized way, wasn't it? Though, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean the 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 Sex Pistols, yeah. <laughs> a boy band. I mean they were they were made as a as a package sort of thing, like. And so, yeah, counterculture gets sold to us. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. Like, like, like you have an actual social movement type thing. It's like when I was when I was young, I really got into the Sex Pistols. One of the first bands I got into, it made me like punk rock. Yeah. I saw this rebellion on television <laughs> from this Protestant world I was raised in, and suddenly, like, oh yeah, they're fighting. They're, they're, they're... God save the queen, fight the system. I was really excited, but they were just just a, just getting rich right they weren't actually they weren't actually standing up against anything of substance within society they were just kind of like blah i can be rude on stage and make a buck right right that, it's it's you know not dissimilar in a lot of ways to the uh you know what happened to hip-hop in the 90s where you suddenly had a bunch of people that uh you know they were they were from the streets they were doing the things but they were suddenly all millionaires mm -hmm. you know Oh, and, there, and, and I, I heard an interesting discussion about some of these things where, like, these record companies, they would allow for certain people to come in and make some money and be the face, but it was not them who actually held the, you know, it wasn't them that was the CEO. But then we started seeing record companies emerge and other companies emerge that were more diverse, 
And a lot of times these more diverse companies ended up having just the same billionaires that are the heads and the actual corporate overlords and learn and those who are, okay, that's permissible, permissible for us to put out. That's permissible. You know, especially if it had to do with like capitalism and wealth and being a boss and gaining and gaining power through the existing system, they were very supportive of those messages coming out in counterculture type spaces, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's you know, you you uh convince the people that are focusing their energy against the the dominant narrative, the the hegemony, if you will, the state that their best bet is to focus their power on making themselves strong. Because, of course, as we've seen, that once they're strong, all of their strength will trickle down to the people below them, right? <laughs> that's that's how that works. <laughs> Whereas, like, countercultures tend to have this dialectical interaction with the, the mainstream, right? Like they push back a little bit and then like, okay, well, the aesthetic we can sell, we can market, we can make a buck on this because we're eating it up. We're eating the aesthetic of it up. But the meat mm. and bones of the message there, the meat and bones of what's actually written in the anarchist uh, Black Dragon Collective's zines that were put out there, you know, this is 70s and 80s. This is, uh, Sex Pistols are at the height of popularity at this point, right? Right. Anarchy, they said. <laughs> they said anarchy in the UK. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there was anything behind that. I think it was empty. Yeah, I, I think that if you were to ask, you know, Johnny Rotten what his definition of anarchy is, I, I'd actually be really interested what uh, his answer would be to that. <laughs> and he's extremely extremely wealthy like his wife that he married into is like i don't want to I, I don't even know the family married like billionaires right like he's, oh yeah Leiden's a lord at this point he, he's <laughs> yeah he's a lord he literally is a lord like like i don't know how you can be a counterculture when you literally are a part of aristocracy and this isn't like american aristocracy where we pretend that it's not an aristocracy and like you know your your tv star dad is the one who got you your job in a record company or at the tv or at the or making your own disney plus show you know what i'm saying or disney plus whatever it is they use disney channels what they were on right. <laughs> <laughs> now it's disney plus you know it's not that type of this is literal like og aristocracy where like lord landed gentry type things exist still to this day so anarchy, according to the landed gentry, is <laughs> that's interesting. That's interesting. And and you see that? No, let's talk about games and counterculture. Like the zine, the zine thing in the game world, it's going on, right? Like people are putting out small time, small press games and stuff like that, counter to Hasbro and the bigger companies trying to get their own thing out there. As a counterculture movement, would you say that? I mean, I'm I just asserted that it was. Would you say that that's probably a counterculture within gaming itself or the gaming industry? You think I'm off from saying that? No, I don't think you're off. I mean, I think that there's uh, well, with I mean, you can't really get into the gaming sphere, and I guess an argument could be made that you know people like white wolf and wizards of the coast are the landed gentry the uh aristocracy of the gaming <laughs> community right like, yeah even to the point that watsi is trying to make a walled garden for their uh for their game and so you've got this you know sort of 
OSR and SR, the like, you know, the smaller gaming movements of people that are just putting out things and and sharing their ideas. And that's that's kind of the same thing. Like <laughs> I like so would gaming itself be a counterculture? I think that uh countercultures come together at a gaming table. I don't know that I think that gaming would classify technically as a subculture but not necessarily a counterculture. I'm curious to know what your distinction is there when you say that. Well, I guess uh, for me personally, and again, this is all off the cuff. (laughs) I'm not looking at anything here. These definitions may be vastly wrong from what's uh, accepted, but just for me personally, I would say that a subculture is, you know, just a smaller grouping that isn't necessarily working against what is dominant a subculture could be a counterculture and maybe all countercultures are subcultures but not all subcultures are countercultures Hmm. because like the rotc is a subculture oh yes but it does not run counter to culture so i think you have a point there and the definition that i'm googling (laughs) is A, a cultural group within a larger culture have often having beliefs or interests at variance with those of the larger culture. And now mm-hmm. I, there's definitely something to say, like when we start to talk about like these divisions of culture that exist, the various smaller cultures about things like immigration and stuff like that in the United States, things like nationality. Those are, I wouldn't even say, so like we're talking about actual culture, right? Like right. actual national culture that's coming from another another place coming into the United States, finding itself alienated within the United States. And there's some interesting literature coming out of some of those uh, those groups there, uh, sometimes in zines and books and stuff like that as well, that are talking about some of the issues that folks are running into. Um, no one is illegal is one organization I would point to that has been wonderful about putting out some amazing writing and other stuff like that in the past. So there's something there. And and and, and I think the reason I wanted to talk about some of that, because I, I, I would hope to start to explore some more counterculture, subculture, things of those ideas and stuff like that here, especially as we're approaching uh, lots of different zines and the things that come out of different spheres and different, uh, different groups that are putting things out. Absolutely. Yeah, I I uh I think that it's it's important to me to kind of serve as an amplifier for the voice of people that don't really have one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, that's that's something that at the least I can do, right? Like <laughs> it's also like the zine has been traditionally a place that a lot of people have sought to find that voice or express through a zine. Yeah, zines or mixtapes or, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can't help but think that the, uh, you know, the zine is just an outgrowth of the, like, broadsheet stapled to a post in the center of town, right? Yeah. Well, I've got some stuff to add to that, to the history of zines, especially within the IWW and political movements and philosophy and some of the pamphlets that were put out in years past. But I think we're up on time. Maybe that's a subject for another day. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. <laughs> there's a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to look at there. Things that I've been noticing and realizing because there are like like zines like that format isn't. 
when, when it first started being used, I don't think anybody was calling it a zine. I'm curious to know when the terminology zine comes into play in the evolution of this, because a lot of people, a lot of more radical countercultures, subcultures, uh, political, cultural, otherwise, in years past, we're putting out these ideas through small format printing and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Very similar to how he put out zines. They weren't able to necessarily make giant tome books like the big publishers, but we had some other forms of printing and publication. People like Emma Goldman, who was printing and publishing and quite a few others, but we'll get to that in a, in a future episode one day. I think we're over <laughs> no, time. I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say for sure. Cause again, I'm not looking at it, but my, my intuition would tell me that, uh, the terminology zine would have come about after whenever things started being called magazines. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's literally what it is. It's the truncated, the ending of the yeah. term the magazine is zine. Yep. It's a small magazine. We just called it a zine. We took the mag away. It's not a <laughs> magnum zine. It's a minimum zine. <laughs> That's all we have for today. Blue Weather, can they find you on the internet? Oh, as usual, you can find me on Instagram or on threads at that blue wizard. Or, of course, you can uh, come and check me out at the hoboscollective.com. Check us out at hoboscollective.com. We have a little form we've put up there to discuss certain things. You have to log, actually be logged into the site to interact or even see some of the form threads that are out there. Love to see some folks stumble on over there and maybe check out some of the things we posted. We'll try to respond. I'll try to be there a few times a week and make responses on that message board, that form there. Uh, I think trying to get away from our discussions on large format media like Facebook and other places is something I I would like to see happen. And uh, come check it out. That's at the hoboscollective.com. We're going to have a lot more up there in the near future. We're working on the site. So if it goes down while you're there, please forgive me. I'm I'm in the back end tinkering around trying to get things going sometimes during the day. <laughs> and you can find me on various social medias at Logar Hail Crom on X. I think they're going to start paying. So the X might be, be a thing of the past, but on threads, um, Blue Sky and Mastodon as well. Uh, as Facebook, go to Facebook, check out, we've got a page, Hobos Collective Limited is the page, Hobos Collective is our group, come join the Hobos Collective group and talk to us, we'll be posting random bizarre things on the Hobos Collective Facebook group, and I'd love to see you all there. And as always, keep those dice rolling and keep those zines printing. <laughs>